It's time for episode 430 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. Clockwise, for people, for tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the Holly Jolly Tech Podcast. I am one of your ho-ho-hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal and dungeon buddy, it's Dan, the man, Morin. How you doing, Dan? Ho-ho-ho, Micah, we have a wonderful show <laughs> today. I just sort of went after what you were doing. I was not prepared, <laughs> didn't have any material written. I hope somebody left me some milk and cookies. Indeed, they are on. They are to the right of you <laughs> as you look at the table. But uh, to the left of me, or not cookies, but instead the assistant director and podcast host. It is Anastasia Falorenzo. Welcome back to the show, Anastasia. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. And to my left this week, it is the founder and partner at Lickability, Matthew Bischoff. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Great to be here. All right, folks, we are going to kick things off, as always, uh, with the first topic of the show. We've got just 30 minutes and four topics to get to, so here's mine. Tell us about the last app you purchased. It can be for macOS, iOS, Android, etc., but the one, the last one you purchased. Anastasia? I had to scroll way back to figure this out, because... You know, a lot of apps now, you just download them and then it's, you know, subscribe and Mm -hmm. you just buy a subscription. But the last app I purchased, purchased was for my Mac and it was Audio Hijack, um, which I use for podcasting and things. But most apps now, you know, you download them for free and then you subscribe to whatever the service is. Yeah. How much is how much is Audio Hijack these days? I'm so Uh, out of touch with the pricing on that. (laughs) I was looking it up today. I think it's like sixty bucks, like fifty nine yeah. ninety nine, something pro, like that. A pro tool. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I love it. I use it all the time. I think the last thing I'm looking back at my purchase history. Um, I think the last app that I bought was Pixelmator Photo, uh, which came out or updated recently, uh, and it was. I think it normally runs like eight bucks, and it was four dollars. I was like, oh, I, I, not something I use a lot, but like I might as well pick it up because I, it is a useful tool. Again, a professional, yeah. a professional level two that costs four dollars. Um, <laughs> what what do so, you use in that? What do you use in there? I've never, I've never used it. I, yeah, I won't say that I have used very much. I was playing around with it the other day actually because it's got the tool that lets you remove stuff from like mm. photos, and like it kind of, it was amazing. I, I took a picture from my car. Um, I was in the passenger seat while we were driving somewhere and it's like, oh, it's a nice snow covered scene and you could see the guardrail, uh, next to it. Uh, and I could just like run no. my finger along it and erase the guardrail. I was like, it doesn't look perfect, but wow, it looks pretty good. So what do they call it? A- the, the chain link fence feature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Get rid of all those unsightly chain link fences. A lot cheaper than actually removing them. Let me tell you, Matthew, yeah. what was the last app you purchased? Um, this is a new one for me. I had never heard of it, um, but I, I had a problem. It's called Text Case, uh, automatable, oh, yeah. automatable text transformations by Chris Hanna. And it's three bucks, and it's the best three bucks you'll ever spend if you do a lot of like writing 
uh, and, and things like that. Because what it does is it lets you transform text anywhere on like iOS or Mac OS into any type of case you want, lowercase, title case, but not just title case, title case based on any particular style guide that you might be writing in, whether it be like AP or Chicago or whatever. So um, it's, it's really, really great. And it also lets you put in custom nouns. So like you can put in like, it comes with like AirPods, watch OS, Mac OS, so that those don't get all screwed up by the casing. Cause you know, the, the, the weird, the weird casing that Apple does with their product names. Um, it's got shortcut support. It's, it's for $3. It's, it's great. The shortcut support is really good too. Yeah. Pretty magical. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for your answers. So the one that I have for you is an app called vinegar tube cleaner. It's available for a dollar 99 in the app store and it cleans your tubes. No, um, it is. I just got this too. <laughs> it's made by and a dinosaur, uh, which is also delightful. And what it does is it will take the YouTube uh, site, but also YouTube embeds, and it turns them into that HTML uh, video tag uh, player. So the YouTube player isn't that standard YouTube player. Instead, it, it drops to that basic one, which is able to be picture and pictured. Um, it will also remove ads in many cases. And whenever you're swiping to another screen, it can keep that video playing in the background, which is something that you typically have to pay for uh, with YouTube. Now, I do pay for YouTube, whatever it is. Um, Red or whatever. Yeah. 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 That. And so I'm not, I haven't been able to try it without that. So I can't confirm that it works in, in the other way. But it is nice to have this kind of, um, uh, the the video that I like to play on the web versus uh, YouTube kind of adding its own rules and regulations surrounding it. Uh, Vinegar Tube Cleaner made that a lot easier. Um, thank you, everyone, for your answers on that one. That was a fun one and lots of apps for folks to try out if they haven't. Let us move to our next topic, which comes from Anastasia. Okay, staying on the app train. Um, so Apple recently won against Epic halting any changes currently to the way you purchase apps. If a change was to happen in the future, allowing payment links within apps, would you use them? Or is the simplicity of Apple's Apple Pay and its management system of the apps good for you? You know, I it's pretty. You know, I thought about this for a while. I, I think that the the issue is always one of choice, right? Um, I would probably still, in many cases, default to Apple's own built-in system because of the simplicity and ease with which you can just buy things. In the same way that I default to Apple Pay if it's an option through you know the web or you know if I'm at a point of sale, right, and I actually need to pay for something in in, in real life. Um, but <laughs> it's. It, it is still at the same time nice to be able to sort of comparison shop. And if I find out, oh, you know, hey, I can buy this thing through the vendor for cheaper, then there is a strong argument for it in many cases. And I think about things, especially like streaming services, where they often offer, you know, deals through their own stuff. So like I prepaid for like three years of Disney Plus when it first came out because I was like, I'm, I know I'm going to watch a lot of stuff on Disney Plus. I'll pay the discount rate and just sort of lock that in for three years. And not being able to know about that from within the app is still a little frustrating at times because you might end up overpaying for something uh, that you could have uh, gotten on a deal. So I, I think while I would have mainly stuck to Apple's uh, payment system, I would have liked the option to at least sort of more easily find payments uh, options that are outside of the uh, the ecosystem as well. Matthew, what about right. you? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I have a, a little bit of a different take on this. I think that if this, if this comes to pass, I would do this. I would use the outside links for indie developers because I'd want the, want them to get 
more of the of the money from those transactions uh, potentially. I know Apple has said that they're maybe going to still try to collect the thirty percent. We'll see if if that actually happens. Um, but but I'd also just want to have that more direct relationship with them. I'd want them to have my email, for instance. Uh, whereas for big companies, uh, I would continue to use the Apple system because I want them to know as little about me as possible, and I want to be able to cancel as easily as possible. Everyone's heard those stories of trying to you know, having to call the New York Times to cancel your subscription. Uh, and I've run into that a number of times where these these large companies have entire teams to make it hard for you to cancel your subscription. So um, indie developers, absolutely. Uh, big companies, no way. Uh, I got to say props on this question. This is such a good, good, good question. Um, I am kind of with Matthew on this. Um, it's It's Definitely something where I would want um, someone making an indie app, you know, a vinegar tube cleaner. I would want to uh, offer that in, you know, the purchase or the, the, especially like tip jars. I would want all of that money to go directly to the developer. But I do have to say there is something to be said for the um, ease of use and the trust that I place in Apple with the in-app purchase system or with the purchases in the first place. And anytime a website offers, this is not not exactly related, but sort of related. Anytime a website offers Apple Pay, I kind of have this moment of, oh no, because it's about seven times more likely that I'm going to make the purchase <laughs> because of the ease of use. So I yeah, see that yeah, little Apple Pay badge and I'm like, oh, Dang it. Now I, oh man, this is probably going to happen. So there is in my, in my, I guess my heart and my mind, there is some sort of trust that I have with Apple that makes it easier. So I don't know if a tip jar that just has a direct access to a credit card is something that I would be, be, be doing. But if Paddle popped up in there, then I would also be okay because I use Paddle to pay for apps on the Mac all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Anastasia, why don't you, Anastasia, excuse me, why don't you? Round us out. Well, I mean, I think it's a little bit of everything that I've heard already. And yes, um, it's so simple to play with Apple Pay. And you're right. Every time I see that button, I'm like, oh, no, we're purchasing (laughs) it, aren't we? We're going to purchase this. Um, But also, you know what I use it for a lot, especially as we come to the end of the year, is to clean out my subscriptions. Like the number Mm -hmm. of times I open up that subscription thing, I'm like, why am I subscribed to this? <laughs> How long have I been subscribed to this? So it's a yearly thing. I go in there and they make it so easy. You're like, well, I don't need that anymore. or I don't need that anymore. Or, you know, let's continue on with this subscription. So it's really that part of it is such a major key where, you know, it helps me make sure I'm not paying a thousand dollars for things I never use. You know what I mean? Yeah, I have a deep link directly to that screen and then an OmniFocus task that runs every quarter that says audit your subscriptions. And it's so great to <laughs> just be it. able to do that from one spot. Oh, yeah. well, I've just got an idea. I got to set that up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Because I You're do a podcast welcome. called iOS Today and I have a lot of app subscriptions that I don't need. Um, <laughs> all right, folks, we have reached halftime in the show. If you can believe it, we're already there. And uh, I want to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. I certainly do. No matter how targeted your marketing content or how sleek your website is they'll bounce if a page is loading too slow. But with real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance affects your visitor's experience so you can take action before your business is impacted. And you can do this all for as low as 10 bucks a month. 
Whether your visitors are dispersed around the world or across browsers and devices and platforms, Pingdom helps you identify bottlenecks, troubleshoot performance, and make informed optimizations. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability. That means you can monitor millions of page views, not just sample data, and you can do it all at an affordable price. Get live site performance visibility today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then, when you're ready to buy, use the code CLOCKWISE at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and of Relay FM. All right, we are back from the break, which means it's time for Dan's Topic. Wow. So I think we got halfway through the show before I brought up a pandemic-related topic. So congratulations, everyone. We almost made it. Good work. Uh, (laughs) My question for you is exposure notifications, which is the framework that Apple and Google collaborated on. Uh, I think it was sort of hyped for a while, and then it fell out of favor. But I think it's sort of making a a comeback. Uh, My question is, do do you have exposure notifications turned on? Have you received any? Do you find this feature helpful at all? Matthew? I have so many thoughts on this. I'll try to keep it brief since we're on the clock. But uh, yes, I have had it turned on since day one, had the app installed since day one. Um, I live in New York City where we're currently facing a 10.4% positive test rate. Uh, So it's really, really scary out there right now. Um, I have never received one, though. Um, and I think part of the problem, and there was, there was a recent article, um, by Laura hecht Filella about this called evaluating the failures of exposure notification apps. I think the problem is that these are really, really difficult for regular people, um, to enable. Uh, you have to install a separate app. You sometimes have to sign up for something. You have to know about that app. There's marketing challenges. And so some of the things that were, that were, that showed up in this article were that, um, first of all. Uh, a survey early on in, in 2020 found that 71% of Americans didn't plan on downloading one of these at all because they had pri- privacy concerns. So we, we clearly didn't, as technologists, do enough to explain the privacy, how the privacy stuff works. Um, and then multiple states have completely ended their digital contact tracing programs, uh, like Arizona, which had only 1.3% of the state's population installing these apps in the first place. So um, I looked in my own state in New York. Uh, it's capturing less than 1% of positive cases just because of how, how few people have installed it. So I'm not sure it's actually that useful as implemented. I wish I wish it had been, though. I had friends who are family members, actually, who had been actually actively misinformed about the contact tracing. And so I had to oh, do yeah, some yeah. sort of cleanup work with it uh, and explain what it was, what it wasn't, how it worked, how it didn't. And there was a lot going around. And I'm sure you can imagine where they got this information. Um, they got it through <laughs> someone who got the information from, you guessed it, Facebook. Um, if only so, there were contact tracing for that. My yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have, misinformation tracing. I have a Google Pixel 6 and uh, an iPhone that both have uh, contact tracing turned on on them. I have, uh, you know, knock on uh, bamboo, never had an alert pop up, but I do keep those on um, just in case that were to happen. Anastasia, what about you? Um, well, I am a fellow New Yorker, so I have definitely had these apps, you know, installed from day one. They have never worked for me. They have worked for <laughs> other friends before. 
Um, so that has kind of kept me going. So I'm like, well, it's worked one time. Um, but yeah, I, I think it has to do with the number of people who actually actively download and use these. Um, if there isn't that sort of database of people, it really doesn't, you know, do what it's supposed to do. I think with contact tracing, at least in my case, it's just gone to, you know, basic, you know, who are the six people or who are the people you were in contact with for this amount of time and that long. And it's all like telephone, you know, I wish it worked better yeah. because I love technology like that, but you know, um, it's, it's, it's so hard for just regular everyday people to be, you know, sort of that tech savvy to be like, what, you know, a lot of people have no idea what I'm talking about. Even when I mention it, they're like, mm -hmm. they had no idea that that was a thing that even existed. So there is that ba barrier that's really hard to break through. Sure. It's a bummer. Yeah. Be it's a bummer because like they, the, you know, if Apple and Google had just said, you know what, we're going to do it ourselves instead of leaving it to the states, there would have yeah. been challenges with that, that, you know, people would have had the same privacy concerns, but at least the adoption rate probably would have been a lot higher. Right. We talked a few weeks ago about uh, digital vaccine records as well and has a similar sort of problem with the way that the different states implement it. I will say uh, I got my first exposure notification yesterday <gasps> and the second one this morning. So fun oh! times. Wow. Uh, but and from different. Uh, regions because I was traveling this past weekend. Oh, wow. I went to Washington D.C. and I got one from the D.C. system yes last night, and then one from the Massachusetts system this morning. Both for the same day, which makes me wonder if it was in the airport. But I agree with everything that people have said about the the implementation is actually not bad. Like the technology underlying all of it is very clever. And I think the issue has been more of one of marketing and of the uneven rollout amongst different states. If this system had, as Matthew were just saying, been sort of evenly implemented at a at a federal level and, um, you know, basically more of an opt-out system, perhaps, than an opt-in system in many cases, then I think it could have provided a lot more valuable information for people because we do carry around these devices with us all the time. And yes, tracking our locations is not always the you know most privacy thing to be doing, but at the same time, it's done anyways by a bunch of private companies. So why not get some usefulness out of it? So right. overall, my feeling is I, I like the technology. I wish it were the adoption rates were better and that we had done a better messaging job around it. Because I think especially if we're ever going to get this under control, having this as a tool in the toolkit is going to be really important to sort of quash future outbreaks. But perhaps we're also just not there yet in terms of how broad uh, you know, exposure is at the current moment. So technology can't solve all our problems. No. All right. One more topic to go uh, before we finish up here. Matthew, kick it off for us. Okay, well, 2022 is right around the corner. So I'm curious, bringing it back to apps, what apps or systems do you use to track your progress toward your resolutions or yearly themes or the new habits that you're trying to get started in the new year? So I have to admit, um, I, ha I set a rule for myself uh, five or six years ago that I do not make New Year's resolutions or, or set those goals because I always just found myself beating myself up come March when I did not do those things. Um, so what I do end up doing instead, I suppose it more falls into this, the theme idea is mm -hmm. I have a, a, a small 
time uh, set aside either at the end of December or at the beginning of January, where I sort of look back on the year and look at where things may have not gone how I expected or where I could see myself uh, make some improvements. And then I just try to be aware of that in the coming year. Um, that is something that I just do in in my head i don't really have anything that i write down um sure. but i will say that um an app that i think can be great for this uh particularly for habits is an app called do due um it is one of my favorite apps i use it for making sure that i take the medicine that i need to take each day on time but it is also great for setting habits because that thing will remind you a trillion times you. if you yeah. want it to. So that's pretty great yeah. for that. Um, Anastasia, maybe you are a resolution setter. Tell us. No, no, Micah. <laughs> I am not. A res- I just never. I think you're always just setting yourself up for failure when you're I'm going to do this this year. Anything could happen. COVID could happen. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I, I've just never been a resolution person, even though I just love tracking things. So I've had the Apple Watch since day one, day zero. Um, I've had the very first one up until the most current one. And that's something I've always used to track little things. You know, I'll up my, you know, my activity by 20 points and see, can I hit that every single month or, you know, my stand goal and and things like that. So I do love health-based tracking Mm -hmm. and that I I use my Apple Watch a lot to do that. Um, I run a lot. I'm trying to run the New York Marathon soon. So, you know, what I really love is they do these trending things now where if you're trending faster, if you're trending slower or, you know, anything like that, it kind of gives you trend patterns. So you can like, oh, I'm trending slower. I should up my runs or I should up my distance and things like that. So I love using my Apple Watch for things like that. But resolution based, I don't I don't really do those. Yeah, I yeah. am similarly I don't really do resolutions. In the past there were there was a time when I used to sort of look back on the year and write like a write myself a little blog post about various things that I had done within like yeah, one thing per month basically and sort cool. of charting that. But yeah. that was a long time ago and I sort of fell out of doing it. I will say I have this year uh, endeavored to because like Anastasia, I've I've started using I use the Apple Watch a lot and I like closing my rings and so it's like I wonder if I can use that same sort of methodology for other stuff in my life. So yeah. I started tracking more stuff using the app Streaks, uh, which is also a good one for building habits. Uh, and so I can log in. You know, I did the crossword today, or I drank enough water today, uh, and that's a, that one's a nice one because it integrates with the health app on the Apple side. Um, doing uh, like PT exercises for my shoulder, like just being able to make sure I keep myself accountable to the things that I should be doing. And you know, it has its downsides. At times, you're like getting to the end of the day, and it's like, oh god, I haven't done all this stuff. <laughs> you feel just a little overwhelmed. Um, but it, I, what I like about it is it doesn't make you feel too guilty about it, right? Like it tries to gently remind you, and I even appreciate that sometimes i forget to mark things and the next day when i'm marking off something it's like hey we noticed you didn't mark this yesterday you want to do for yesterday or today and i was like oh thank you for noticing that i i did forget to note that from yesterday so i I appreciate that for being able to sort of keep myself accountable for all the various habits i'm trying to get better about but i also try not to get too hung up on on making (laughs) making goals uh that sounds really (laughs) depressing (laughs) i don't make goals (laughs) i just kind of
to live my life. Uh, <laughs> Matthew, why don't you wrap this up for us? Yeah. So I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff. I'm also not a resolutions person, but I do do the, the yearly themes that, um, that, uh, Mike and CGP gray have, have been talking about for years now. And that's what brought this question up in my mind. Um, so on my, on my phone, I ha- always have a widget from widget Smith that has my current yearly theme. And I'm starting to think about what my theme is going to be for 2022. So I'll, I'll put that into the widget. So I just know generally like this year, the, the theme was invest. Last year it was commit, like just a kind of one verb that sums up some of the bigger things I'm trying to do. Um, and then I use streaks as well for daily habits. Actually, I have a water uh, thing and a physical therapy thing in my streaks as well. So I guess we're twins, Dan. Um, <laughs> and uh, then for, for longer term things, for things like a longer term projects and stuff, um, I'll write about those in Rome Research, which is my note-taking app, and then actually track the to-dos for those things in uh, in OmniFocus. That's my system. Nice. I really like that widget um, theme of the, Oh yeah, I, try I'm that gonna, out. Yeah. I am going to take that and do that. <laughs> I like it a lot. Wow, there have been lots Thanks. of uh, lots of great ideas and inspirations today that have uh, made this episode awesome. Uh, we have just enough time for a bonus topic this week. Bonus, and the bonus is when things were normal. Did you tend to make food for yourself, or do you tend to be a person who kind of orders it or goes out to eat, Anastasia? Well, you know, it's New York, so in the normal times. I was a big order in, you know, go to a restaurant. There's so many, you know, cool places to eat right around the corner, walking distance. And, you know, I just don't do that that much anymore. (laughs) It is, it's really switched around where I'm now more of a cooker. I mean, I was making bread. Who who is she? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, I do miss going out a lot more, but you know, now there's a balance. Now there's a balance where I cook, I cook half of the time and I go out or order in the other half of the time. Yeah. I, I used to probably do more prepping at home. Well, not more, but like I always did a lot of prepping at home. I work at home, so I often eat lunch at home or breakfast Mm. at home and stuff like that. And then I would try to, you know, cook at least half the week. And these days, I would say we actually, my wife and I do better than that. I would say we we order out maybe once, maybe twice a week, depending on the week. It sometimes goes up if it's like a super busy week or we're traveling or what have you, obviously. But we try to cook most nights. Um, just to sort of reduce how much takeout we're getting, but we do still get takeout. We used to, I do miss, we used to go to like a nice restaurant, you know, once every couple of weeks or something. And then we had like lists of like, Oh, we got to try this restaurant, this restaurant. And the other day we got like takeout, we were on our way somewhere and we got takeout from a place that we had gotten takeout from before, but we got like, we just went in and then like grabbed it and then sat in the car and ate it. And it was so much better than when we had to get it like delivered 30 <laughs> minutes. Where I was like, wow, I like this. I forget. I like this place. Cause it's so much better when you're eating it fresh and hot than it yeah. is when you get it delivered yeah. soggy in a car. So I miss that. <laughs> Matthew, what about you? Um, when things were normal, I would go out all of the time. Uh, also a classic New Yorker answer. I, I mean, my apartment's pretty small. There's so many incredible places in my neighborhood. So I would, I'd be out all the time. I'm, I'm regulars at a bunch of places that I walk in. They're like, Oh, Matt, how are you? Um, it's the best. Uh, now I guess it's a little bit more delivery than that. Um, I still don't cook that often, um, because I, I really, I don't like cooking for just myself and my partner and I, my wife and I are separated by a border trying to work, work through immigration stuff. So, 
Uh, when she's around, I'll cook more because I like cooking for her. But um, otherwise, uh, it's a lot of delivery. I uh, I am a I've mentioned before a begrudging eater. I don't like the fact that we have to eat to stay alive. So I <laughs> am definitely a make. Soylent. I'm a make at home kind of person because I can just make round about the same thing uh, every day and be satisfied that I have fueled my body for the day. Um, my partner also makes a lot of his own food, but occasionally uh, will order something in. Um, yeah. So thank you all for your answer on the bonus topic. That brings us to the end of this episode of Clockwise, which means it's time to thank our incredible guests, Anastasia Folorunso, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we do appreciate you joining us today. Of course. Thank you. It's been great. And Matthew Bishaw, thank you so much for joining us as well. Yeah, it's absolute pleasure. Uh, and Mike, before we want to wrap up, I do want to remind everybody listening out there that, of course, if you want to get longer episodes of Clockwise and you want them fast, as fast as humanly possible, you can subscribe to Clockwise Unwound at Relay.fm slash Clockwise. That's our subscription program where you get uh, the episodes with all the, uh, you know, 30-minute shows. Sometimes we go over 30 minutes and stuff gets clipped out, but you can hear it all if you prefer. And that's all we have time for this week. But until next week, we remind everybody out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>